Are you a candle enthusiast looking for something truly unique? Or can you not put your finger on what would be that perfect gift for that someone special? Then you need to check out Aunt B's Homemade Creations. This Etsy shop has everything from gaming dice candles to dragon head candles and even a skull named Fred. Plus just about anything your mind can think up with fully customizable options and other great products to boot. And here's the best part. Through March 31st, you can get an additional 15% off every product in the shop by using the promo code DRESDEN. With candles and products like these, you can create the perfect atmosphere for your next game night or reading session. Remember, use the promo code DRESDEN at checkout. That's antbeeshomecreations.etsy.com. Find the link in today's notes. Enjoy the show! Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we're back with today's episode of The Podcast is on Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A spoiler-free run-through where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. On today's episode, we have part two of book three, Grave Peril. Well, in chapters 7 through 12 of Grave Peril, mm-hmm. released in 2001 by Jim Butcher. Right. So, how are we doing today, Liz? Oh, fabulous, my friend. Fabulous. Oh, goody. Got my eyes dilated at the eye doctor's office, so everything is really bright and really blurry. So this will be fun. Or... <laughs> or... You're a red court vampire with your eyes dilating as you I mean, that your disgusting be... inner body pokes through your flesh mask. I mean, have you seen how pale I am? I have once or twice. It's not pretty, folks. It's not pain <laughs> of heart. Yes, when your mother tells you, ooh, let's say you might need to get a tan, you know you're pale. <laughs> oh, goodness. goodness gracious. Another Good quick six chapters here. Nothing too crazy happens, but it's certainly interesting. We run into another couple of baddies and we mm-hmm. meet another, uh, I wouldn't call her necessarily a bad guy in this first chapter here, but she's certainly not a buddy to Mr. Dresden yeah. as we get on through that. Certainly doesn't have a great charitable attitude towards our uh, poor our poor hero, if you will. Any other thoughts here before we get going, Ice? Overall, we didn't get a lot happening in these chapters but we there's still some underlying stuff that i've got a lot of notes on about the um the source of magic for michael and harry so i really kind of dug that oh cool mm-hmm. yeah but this book is pretty lore heavy we, we talked a lot about that last week how we just learned so much about ghosts you learn about the fae mm-hmm. uh, our first trip into the never never which we've been hearing about for so long and these chapters moving forward are similar in that there's a lot of lore, but it's packed so well into the narrative that it doesn't just punch you in the face exposition-wise. Um, a little bit of exception, but it's it's pretty darn good. So I, I agree. I agree completely. Awesome. All right. So chapter seven has predicted the uh, the boys got busted at the end of last week. <laughs> Michael says, I can't believe we're in jail. Which is great. You know, Harry runs down the list of charges here, disturbing the peace and trespassing. Also goes through the list of the tickets and citations he has a handful of in his pocket for the Blue Beetle. 
He said he said, says he's going to lose his license. Well, the best one is the illegal parking. He got a parking ticket on top of everything else. <laughs> the cops are rushing after them, as we saw, right? They, they blew past the cops. So there's now flashing black and white chasing them down as they get to the hospital. And that guy stopped to write him a parking ticket before he went in to pursue them. <laughs> Freaking spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Uh, next time they'll just have to call a cab. Right. For real. So, obviously, Michael understands the situation that it's not the cop's fault. And, you know, what are they supposed to do? And then Terry's pissed and he kicks the um, metal bars with his uh, unshoed shoe, foot and hurts, mm-hmm. and, and hurts his foot. <laughs> yes, of course. But it's very a very hairy thing to do. Of course, of course. There's a, a good line in there <laughs> about how God never gives you more than you, your shoulders can bear that we'll talk about as we get towards the end. <laughs> Another great, great line that I love here that didn't make my, my favorites of the week, but they're, uh, you know, Harry's trying to figure out when they're going to get out, and Michael says, I don't know, I've, I've never been bailed out of jail before. You'd be a better judge. <laughs> hey, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, which is great. Yes, um, really, that whole change there where, you know, he, he Michael says that his wife's not going to be happy. And clearly from the look on Harry's face here, uh, we realize that this isn't going to go well for Harry. And he says, yeah, well, all we can do is face what comes and have faith, right? Basically throwing Michael's words for a second ago back in his face. <laughs> <laughs> Michael <laughs> says, I'll, I'll say a prayer to St. Jude. Catholics are weird, and I say that as a recovering Catholic. A recovering Catholic, culturally Catholic, but different saints do different things. You request the intercession of the saints. Yeah, the saints basically have a have a red phone to God. It's sort of like you know you're going up the chain of command. They each have a specialty. I thought Saint Jude was children. No, oh, he may also be, but he's lost causes. This might be why Saint Jude does the oh God, oh God. Which is awful. That's awful. Um, I, oh, my. But St. Jude's is lost cause. I sh- remember our grandma used to say, St. Anthony, St. Anthony, please come down. Something is lost and can't be found. Uh, St. Anthony is the lost cause, is the patron saint of lost thing. Yes. The lost cause, lost causes is St. Jude, which is a pretty deep album cut of him telling Michael saying, yeah, Harry, good luck with my wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is very, very true. It's just a fun, deep Catholic joke there. But they're hanging out, and you know, they're obviously in jail. And we do see, and I guess this is where we learn Michael's full name, capital N. And boy, does she uh, use it with some authority here. A woman in a roomy dress and heavy cardigan, her arms folded over her seventh or eighth month of pregnancy, is how they describe her. And she says, Michael Joseph Patrick Carpenter. She has some stank on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great way to describe it. Uh, this is what, what comes of taking up with bad company. <laughs> hello, Angel. Don't you hello, Angel, me. Oh, you have any idea what I had to go through to get a babysitter, get the money together, and then get the sword back for you? Which is great. And then Harry just needs to keep his mouth shut and never knows how to. Yes. And, you know, she, she says that it's been five years since they've uh, spoken to each other. And the good Lord willing, it'll be five more. Uh, before you have to put up with his idiocy again. <laughs> Which is pretty on point. Oh, it's great. This is kind of cartoonish, the way it's mm-hmm. written with the, but I, what, uh, 
but but I'll have you know, but but I got her like that. All of Harry's lines here are kind of buffoonish. Well, but but it's very much he has no leg to stand on, and this is the Catholic mama. She probably has eighty billion children, and she's used to scolding children. And in this case, Harry's a doing. he's a he's a recalcitrant child. Oh, absolutely. I just I don't think it was inappropriate the way she was acting. It's more oh, yeah. just the like, but I. Well, I'll have you know, like stuff that just doesn't, that's not how these conversations go. You're getting chewed out by a lady. You just, you might, you know, try to get your, get a word in edgewise. It just, it didn't. That's what he's trying to do, I think. Oh yeah. It just, it just felt kind of fake and forced. I think, I think it's hard to write that sort of thing too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That wasn't, not really a complaint. I just, I was listening to it again today as we, Mm -hmm. you know, as we prep for for the podcast and on the audio book, it falls so flat. Yeah. Written down, I think it comes off a lot better, but the audiobook is it, you know, reading how it's written. You know what I mean? So in my brain, I liked it better. It was just one of those parts. Like I said, James Marsters does a phenomenal job and he gets better and better each book. This maybe that could have been a performance issue there, but this this exchange just comes off really poorly to me in the in the audiobook. I don't know. Like I said, not a huge moment, not like an even an actual complaint. It was more just me stomping, me being a recalcitrant, recalcitrant child at this point. Like, man, I wanted a better storytelling. <laughs> there is one really good line in here that almost made it into my uh, quotes of the week, but where she says, you know, if you ever get my Michael into trouble so deep that he can't come home to his family, I will make you sorry for it. Mm-hmm. And tears that had nothing to do with weakness made her eyes bright for a moment. Charity is a badass. Yeah. In her own way, you know, she, like you said, she has 1,700 children. She's coming downtown, you know, in the middle of the night, gets the sword back. And Susan makes a co- a quote about, a comment about that later. She goes wet down the, the clerk's throat to get the sword back because she knows what it means to Michael. He's a cool character and, you know, a cool character that doesn't like Harry isn't, isn't something new to us by any means. <laughs> But, but I like I like that's her character introduction. I really liked it is great. Her introduction. Absolutely. Really good stuff. Shortly after we get Susan coming in to bail Harry out. And she says, Oh, they're a beautiful couple. And Harry says, Oh, they got off to a good start. How's that? He rescued her from a fire breathing dragon. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Which is great. You know, she says the same thing that Lissy said last week where she wants Michael's story. Uh, I actually wrote down about that. Uh, Susan is my witch's familiar. She wanted to know about Michael. She <laughs> thinks he's a sleeping Arthur, Arthurian knight. So Susan and I are homies. <laughs> Stimpanico, for sure. And yes, the yeah. witch's familiars are supposed to be cats or animals, but... Necessarily. In this have case... To, it has to be. She's my girl. Uh, isn't Salem a... I know he's a cat now, but he wasn't always. And he's Sabrina's familiar. There we go. Um, I mean, that doesn't necessarily hurt your your argument that they should be cats, but he's also not tech, not really a cat. <laughs> he's just a, a cat-shaped dude right now. Yeah. The dumb reference I make all the time from the, t- the first TV show, the TGIF one. Sabrina, a teenage witch. He talked about how when given the ultimate power, he would just, one of the things he would do is change the name of Friday to Frigia. So I say Frigia all the time. Because I'm getting deep cut, Josh. It is so dumb. So dumb. But I talk about <laughs> Frigia. Because I say like Tuesday. I'm, I'm of, among my many, many deep kids. Why am I single? It's so weird. <laughs> Either way. They talk about, uh, they give us the background on Michael here, which is good. And certainly 
we'll have Lissa calming down about what kind of monster everyone is, at least for one week, uh, where he fights Ghost. Ghost, what has he got, a magic nail gun or something? Which is a, a funny oh, yeah. reference because there, there's a couple of important words in that sentence that come back around. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a bit of a fun back and forth about righteous versus self-righteous. It's just a fun exchange mm-hmm. there. But we learn a little bit more about Amarakius. <laughs> Somebody was fucking right. <laughs> yes. Yes, you were. This is two books in a row. Two books in a row. He named his sword. How very Freudian of him. Uh, we also meet up. We also run into vampires later. So you were right about a couple of things. Heck yeah. So, he named his sword, how very Freudian of him, of him. And he said, but it's important. He believes it's one of three weapons given to God, by God, to mankind. Three swords. Each of them has a nail that's supposed to be from the cross, capital C, worked into the design. Only the righteous can wield them. The ones who do call themselves the Knights of the Cross. Others call them Knights of the Sword. Which I like that phrasing right there. Because, again, to a Knight of the Cross, the swords are just a part of the getup. To somebody else... The swords are the most terrifying things about them. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of the cool things here we learn about Michael moving forward. And certainly Harry leans into that real heavily that the sword is not close to the most powerful or demon vanquishing part of Michael. You know, his, his faith and his belief in what he's doing is as much or more powerful than, you know, a hunk of metal attached to some wood. No matter what those pieces of metal happen to have been from. See, it's just really getting some old iron shoved into the hilt. To just Well, if you think about it, though, remember in the previous chapters, iron's got some power, too. Yes, iron's certain individuals. Over, the, over any of the fey, for certain, cold iron. It's funny, he talks about that later. I don't know if cold iron is supposed to be like cold forged iron or supposed to be a specific mm-hmm. thing. But in the Dresden verse, spoiler or not, that's just flowery prose. Any iron, any iron alloy, Mm -hmm. anything with iron in it has the same destructive power to fairies. And I don't know how that fits into other lore with cold iron. The phrasing is always cold iron, but in this, all iron counts as cold iron for whatever that's worth. Okay. He uh, mentions that he needs a ride because his car got impounded. And again, anything with that S word, her, her eyes sparkle at anything with anything worth a story. Uh-huh. You know, they end up not, they can't really have a date. So they, they start heading home. There is a line in there that would be a great time for him to tell her that he loves her to take some of the uh, stress off of the moment. But apparently he can only tell Michael that he loves her. <laughs> Where she says, I know what you're doing is important, Harry. I just wish sometimes that. And he kind of coaxes the second half of that out of her. But I just wish that I could be that important to you too. Sad, and that's sad for both of them, really, because yeah. I—it's totally understandable where she's coming from, and she didn't want to say it, but she clearly needed to say it. You know, is that selfish? Yes, yes, it is. He's a demon, ghost vanquishing person. You know, he just went out and saved a bunch of babies tonight. Mm-hmm. Is it understandable and reasonable at the same time? Yes, yes, it is. You know, this is someone who she's chosen to have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. And relationships are about give and take and sacrificing and finding time for each other. And that is really hard for him right now to do. And that's not because he doesn't love or care about her. Mm -hmm. It's just the circumstances of some 
dying babies came up today. So he had to cancel the date on the last minute. And it's totally reasonable and fair that she feels the way she feels. It also is difficult. And it's one of those things that just hurts everyone involved gets sad. Yeah. And no one's really the bad guy. It's also very realistic. Yo, yeah, 100%. Because it's not like she's being an asshole about it, being like, me, 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 me. She's like, well, I just, it's sad that I wish I was important too. But I, I really, I, that's, I thought that was a really great kind of moment for both of them because it's, it's very realistic. Yeah. No, it's definitely a real human moment. They get back to Harry's place and there's a little exchange about him. He's, he's worried about his kitty. <laughs> she's like, maybe he's got a date. And he's like, what if he got hit by a car? What if a dog got him? She's like, he's as big as a horse, Harry. I pity the dog that tries something. <laughs> But, you know, Mr. Throughout, even the first couple novels here, he definitely has some foretelling skills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's sitting as far away from the window or from the entrance and staring at the door before Kalshazak showed up the first time. You know, here he senses something's up. You know, part of that is just cats being mm-hmm. very observant. Part of that also is Mr. in particular seems to be pretty on the ball when stuff's going down which is just interesting you know he gets a little nervous as they get towards the boarding house they park and they get out and he says take it easy get your car keys out we're getting out of here they're vampires mother trucker so at the beginning of this chapter we meet two of the most 80s named vampires (laughs) we have Kyle and Kelly Uh, they're the bad guys at uh like, we're going to end up having to have to win a ski competition yes. to save the old lodge. <laughs> exactly. This is the, the what's Ski Patrol with that movie? God, I haven't even thought about that movie in a long time until you brought that up. Remember that movie, Ski Patrol? I do remember. That wasn't an exact <laughs> reference I was making, but that's definitely in the ballpark and a great film. I wonder if that's on any streaming. We're going to have to look that up after oh, Do you think story. I'm not actively looking that oh. up? As <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. But the references to our childhood in this podcast are freaking amazing. Uh, okay, so we meet Kyle and Kelly, and you know from Bayside High, they introduce themselves to as uh, members of the Red Court, the Vampire Court of whatever. But they're dressed in tennis whites, which is the most weird fucking outfit for a vampire. Usually, you think of vampires in like dark colors and burgundies and purples and long flowing, and they're dressed in tennis whites. And Kyle says, we were just on our way to a game of doubles. <laughs> so it is available. It's streaming on Showtime, by the okay. way. So I, I'm going to watch that very soon. I might so be watching that tonight. One of my one of my buddies from high school, mm-hmm. uh, he's getting married this, this May, actually, Brad. His name is Brad, but his nickname was Stanley. One of those, clearly one of those nicknames that's longer than their mm-hmm. actual name. So to this day, we call him Stanley. And I'm almost positive it's from this movie where somebody came up with it, but that's there amazing. You, there you go. But yeah, it's on Showtime streaming. Well, uh, a little insight into our childhood for any listeners who are interested. Uh, <laughs> okay, so well, you know, Kyle and Kelly are going to Game of Vampire Dollars doubles, and uh, Kelly is also on a diet, Blood Light. I pictures of blood light. Yeah, <laughs> I laughed out loud at that one. Like, oh my goodness, 
And yeah, the, the tennis whites, though, is just ridiculous. But, you know, in this moment, we Harry's kind of reminding us of what we know about vampires. He's telling Susan, watch watch out, be careful, don't let them lick you. And she's like, lick? Because if you recall, with Bianca, her saliva was some kind of addictive narcotic. And uh, Kyle says, we're not here for your blood. Bullshit. And Harry tells him, you know, whatever you're selling, I don't want any. And then Kyle says that they are... Uh, sorry, that denying Bianca's invitation could have grave consequences. You know, Harry feels like he's being threatened and he says, keep it up and there's going to be a greasy spot right about where you're standing. <laughs> and then Kyle says, understand that I am only pointing out the potential hazards of a diplomatic incident between the vampire court and the council. Whoops, that changed things. I hesitated, then lowered the blasting rod. Is this court business? official business. The Vampire Court extends a formal invitation to Harry Dresden, wizard, as the local representative of the White Council of Wizards to attend the reception, blah, 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 blah. The reason I wanted to read that is, remember when Morgan says his name, he says all of his names. Every other time people say his first and last name together, they say all of his names. Very rarely do we just hear Harry Dresden. Which is the vampires, the vampires haven't gotten they don't get his name, full name. No, but it was just that was just kind of a note that I thought was interesting, just because we we learned about how important names are and 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 all of that, and we learned all of Michael's names in this chunk as well. But you know, he's getting invited to this fancy dancy party, and uh, Harry says, "Okay, you can bring me the invitation." And we learn a little bit more about the lore. Kyle starts stepping forward, asks this Kelly, he's like, "No, no, 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 not her, just you." And Kyle says, well, aren't we the little lawyer, Mr. Dresden? Look, Sparky, you're the Herald. You should know the, the Accords as well as I do. You've licensed to deliver and receive messages and to have safe passage granted to you as so long as you don't start any trouble. I wave the tip of my rod toward the girl beside him. She doesn't. And she's not obligated to keep the peace either. Let's just say I'd rather we all walked away from this. And they're, they, they're both hissing and getting their hackles up. But this tells, you know, this tells us that Harry has a very good understanding of the lore and the accord, the rules, because probably because he pushes them a little. And, you know, he gets the invitation and he's like, okay, y'all are done. Y'all are done. They won't leave. And so he ventas servitases them and wind whips up and he says, as the wind faded, I sagged, wearied by the effort of moving that much air and watched the vampires gather their wits and blink their eyes clear. Their perfect tennis whites were stained. Their beautiful complexions were must. And best of all, their flawless hair was standing up in every which way. This was his fuck off with magic. And they loved it. It was just very much a get out of here. Get out of here. Okay, fine. I'm going to screw all your whole, all the things that you find important up. <laughs> and I loved that. I just thought it was fantastic. And then they, you know, they head inside in this scene, we learn how well Susan can read him. And, you know, she leaned, She got close enough for me to lean on and spared my ego by slipping underneath my arm as though for my protection. Are you all right? Tired. I've been working too hard tonight. Must have gotten out of shape. Can you walk? I gave her a smile that probably looked strained and starting walk, started walking towards the stairs leading down to my apartment. Mr. appears. Yay! And Susan's eating small children again, Mr. I just love that. And so we, we get into the apartment, and this is also a very huge indicator of Susan's relationship with him. 
she knows his, his the routine. She knows how to do everything in the apartment. And she says, uh, could you get the candles? I groaned for an answer and she sniffed. Big baby, you just want to see me walk around in the skirt. Guilty, I said. She quirked a smile at me and went to the fireplace. She added a few logs to it from the old tin hod and then stirred the embers with a poker until licks of flame came up. She, Susan had to bend down far over the fire to thrust a long candlestick's tip down into the small flames. The orange light curved around the lean muscles of her legs in a fashion I found positively fascinating, even as weird as I was. Susan rose with a lighted candle in her hand and cast a smirk at me. You're staring, Harry. She lit several candles on the mantle from the first and then opened the white envelope. So she knows how to get his, she knows how to restart the fire. She knows how you have to light the candles. She does this. She's done this before. And this is very homey, but this is a very clear indicator of her relationship with Harry, at least in my mind. Um, and, you know, she's trying to talk her way into the ball and we get a little bit more about how vampires work. Hang on, Cinderella, I said. In the first place, I'm not going to the ball. In the second, even if I was, I wouldn't take you with me. Just what is that supposed to mean? Look, Susan, they're vampires. They eat people. You've got no idea how dangerous it would be for me there, or for you for that matter. What about what Kyle said? The guarantee of your safety. Talk is cheap, I said. <laughs> Look, everyone in old circles is big in the old laws of courtesy and hospitality, but you can only trust them to adhere to the letter of the law. If I happened to get served a bad batch of mushrooms, or someone drove by and filled the whole place with bullets, and I was the only mortal there, they'd say, oh my, what a terrible shame. So sorry, really, it wouldn't happen again. So, you know, Bianca has a grudge, and she's not a pleasant person creature regret exactly and you know susan is well i i yeah i could get an interview with vampires and sheesh susan you're reading too much off the bestseller list i found that funny and you know i've taken chances before so have you i don't go looking for trouble that's just the key. And it's true. He doesn't go looking for trouble. Trouble really finds him. And, and, you know, we get a little bit of background on the White Council. And we sort of knew this, but he spells it out for Susan that the White Council is a group of the most powerful wizards uh, in the world. They're big. I do, <laughs> I do like the. So what's this White Council? Sounds like a kind of a ruling body. Is it like the Vampire Court? Only for wizards? Exactly, exactly like that, like I that. thought. Not really. I told her. Right. You're a horrible liar, Harry. I love it. Um, but their big currency isn't secrets, and they don't like people knowing about them. Her eyes gleamed like a hound on a fresh scent. And you're some kind of ambassador for them? I had to laugh at the notion. Oh, God, no. But I'm a member. It's sort of like having a black belt. It's a mark of status, of respect. With the council, it means that I get to vote when issues come up and that I have to abide by their rules. Are you entitled to represent them at a function like this? Didn't like the direction this conversation was heading. Um, obligated to, really, in this case. So if you don't show up, you'll be in trouble. I scowled. Not as much trouble as I'll be in if I go. The worst the council will be able to accuse me of is being impolite. I can live with that. I mean, he he's more concerned about safety, which makes freaking sense. These people can kill him. 
they they go they have some sporting <laughs> some mortal sporting some mortal sporting and they fell asleep together on the couch and he says all right so the entire day wasn't a living hell <laughs> but as it turned out hell got up awfully early in the morning great great the ending statement i love it okay um again the, the intro to the next chapter is really good and it's interesting one of those things that on a reread is jarring but uh it's because there's a couple of interesting notes okay. in here but i dreamed the nightmare felt familiar almost comfortable though it had been years since i'd gone through it that phrasing there is interesting um not since i've had this nightmare but since i'd gone through it mm -hmm. It began in a cave, its walls made of translucent crystal, all but glowing in the dim light of the fire beneath the cauldron. The silver manacles were tight on my wrists, and I was too dizzy to keep my own balance. I looked to the left and right and watched my blood glide down over the manacles from where they pierced my wrists like thorns, then fall into a pair of earthen bowls set out beneath them. His godmother comes up to him and says, you know, says, soon. Only a few more nights of the dark moon, my sweetling. Be a few more nights of the dark moon, my sweetling, and you'll be strong enough. <laughs> I love the Cockney accent. But interesting that that was, you know, as per that description, that was how it went down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he says he made a bargain with his godmother. Seemingly, that's the bargain. Oh, that she was doing some mojo there and, you know, you'll be strong enough soon. Mm -hmm. And then his dream changed. He dreamed of fire. Someone I had once loved like a father stood in the middle of it, screaming in agony. They were black screams, horrible screams, high-pitched and utterly without pride or dignity or humanity. In the dream, as in life, I forced myself to watch flesh blacken and flake away from sizzling muscle and baking bone, watched muscles contract in tortured spasms while I stood over the fire and, metaphorically speaking, blew on the coals. So that's Justin. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like fun. Mm. Um, and he, he wakes up. <laughs> Fun, pleasant way to wake up. It's there's a banging on his door, and we hear that he he, he gets this uh, three fifty seven after Which, his. By the way, is a hand cannon. Oh yeah, it is the current owner of a three fifty seven. I've never I've never taken possession of it, but someone who owned a three fifty seven Magnum died relatively recently ago and now there's a 357 magnum floating around somewhere it's in a gun safe just no one knows where the key to the gun safe is and here you go responsible gun owners but either way it is a gigantic mm -hmm. howitzer um that you hold in your hands and um he gets that he goes to the door but it's funny that he talks about how 
the he had the door re- and the frame reinforced with steel. What's demons, reason? You know, demons, you know. <laughs> After Kalshazat came, uh, came a knocking, but uh, it, it turns out it's it's Michael calling on the other side of the door. He says he tried to call, but your phone must be off the hook. Like, okay, she evidence. Time to work. The sun will be up shortly. <laughs> Just love his response to that is lunatic. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Susan obviously is woken up by the banging on the door. She goes, picks up some, or you know, wraps herself in the blankets and heads into the bedroom. Uh, and he opens the door, says, What's up? Trouble, Michael? So, um, so Susan heads into the bathroom. Susan heads into the bedroom and he lets Michael in and they start talking about Lydia asking if he sent someone to Father Fordhill last night. She tried to get to the church and then Father Fordhill called Michael to obviously have him come down and take a look. So something happened at the church. She's not really sure what. She did make it into the church and there was a spirit trying to track her down. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, wolfs down a sandwich real quick and drinks a Coke. But beyond that, they head off. They hop into Michael's truck because the beetle is still in the impound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, we head off to uh, St. Mary of the Angels, which is a gigantic church down there. And as they get there, they see that there's a lot of action has happened outside of the church the ro- the roses are all torn up and there's cars have been smashed and basically just a lot of damage and chaos and one of the things he, he mentions you know that I, I love is when he's looking through the roses that are torn up there's no blood from the thorns and there's no footprints in the earth so Michael assumes it's a ghost. And Harry says, I, I, I hope not. Because ghosts can, you know, they can do small things. They can stack books and they can, you know, make, you know, they can drown a baby in or choke out a baby in their own kind of spot. But being able to go through a parking lot and just tear shit up means this ghost is either really powerful or, I mean, I guess that's really the only thing it could possibly mean. So, um, very interesting. Um, we meet Father Forthill, a graying man of slight build and only medium stature. Um, we don't find out what size titties he's got. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know much about how sexual how sexual he is, but uh, which is weird. Um, it is someone who answered the door in a dress. I don't know. Um, but we don't get a whole lot of physical characterization beyond that which is fine and normal and reasonable just again stark relief from the descriptions of every woman we meet but um michael and him embrace they kiss each other on the cheeks he sh- he does shake harry's hand and we learn a little piece of uh their background where uh harry does Crystal wizard i've never had anyone ask me to bless a five gallon drum into holy water before which seems like a no-brainer when you're fighting ghouls and vampires right uh uh-huh. Harry's just ahead of the head of the curve here. Michael says that Harry, you're keeping secrets. And it's a good line where he's like, contrary to what charity thinks, like I don't come running to you every time there's an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, Fort Hill tries to 
do the conversion thing to Harry, which is what it is. And then they go through and he, he gives them the description of what happened with Lydia. She came over there before sunset, said she needed help. And he gave her a change of clothes, you know, um, some a sandwich, some soup, whatever. And she was eating and put her in the spare cot in the back. And that's when the spirit started to kind of make noise and bang and, and throw stuff around outside. And so he went and he prayed with her. He read from the, you know, read, read her from the gospel. And there was just howling outside and the windows were shaking and she went to sleep. But at one point he came back and checked on her and she was gone. So she just decided to jet for one reason or another. Luckily, she still has the talisman. We're not really sure what's going on with that. But but again, it's a this spirit on a consecrated ground is able to move stuff around and to mm -hmm. be a problem and be a presence powerful enough for her to be shook by it and run outside. So it's definitely problematic. Michael brings up that he doesn't like Bob again. Uh, we, get to, <laughs> we get that Harry doesn't think of Bob as a familiar because he has to pay Bob uh, okay. with, with uh, romance novels and stuff. So he's not a familiar. They just have a working business relationship, yes. which I just think is funny. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely something that's puzzling to both of them because if it was a demon, there'd be footprints and stuff and a ghost shouldn't be able to do what this ghost did. It doesn't really fit that the ghost can do all this damage physically to the world around it. So they are very confused. They're not really sure what it is. And luckily she's got the charm on her wrist. So she hopefully she'll be okay. And yeah, I mean, we don't really learn much about it. Again, this is this chapter isn't really giving us any answers so much as asking a lot of questions about who this bad guy is and what is happening here. And we're, we're a lot, lot more confused at the end of this chapter than we started which is just good storytelling and certainly interesting kind of in-between chapter. I do like that he ends the chapter with, I whimpered, I sunk down in my seat a little more and wished I had kept my aching, sore self in bed. Me and you both, brother. Like, that is, I have that tattooed on my left arm. <laughs> um, one thing I liked about this chapter is the skepticism of the father, of the priest, of Father Forhill. So he's describing Lydia's outburst, I guess you could say. She was shaking and that she was trembling and had gone absolutely pale. And Harry says, Cassandra's tears. And Father Fordhill says, or, or narcotic withdrawal. He's a realist. This is obviously not the first, you know, street urgent type that he's helped. And it's, that was a kind of a cool awareness moment for the priest in my mind. Yeah, I know. Father Fordhill's definitely kind of streetwise. Yeah. And there's another thing that I'll bring up. Uh, at the end because I've got a whole thing it goes throughout this portion of the book where I really uh, there's some stuff that is cool about the elements of the story I guess you could call it but I, I, Father Fordhill is an interesting character and I do also like how the father is constantly trying to convert Dresden and he says Mr. Dresden I would not wish to encounter this outside of a church without seeking God's help in the matter I jerked a thumb at Michael I did seek God's help heck is one night of the cross not enough I can always <laughs> put out the bath signal for the other two which is total foreshadowing I feel like that there's going to be two other nights of the cross that we're going to encounter well didn't he mention that in that conversation with Susan He's, he vaguely said but he, it, it was they weren't so apparent, this, you know, I can put out a bat signal. Oh, yeah. I just meant 
that there's uh, she does mention that he mentions there's three swords um yeah so yeah it's it's interesting um he also mentions again with the the power of of feelings evil gains power from fear mr dresden within the church we have agencies for dealing with these matters that is interesting i like Mm -hmm. that there's a couple things that that the the way he describes some of the churchy shit is interesting but yeah so we head downtown or to another part of town and we meet morty Morty is our local neighborhood necromancer, I guess you could say. But he's, he's really just... He's an ectomancer. Yes. But we, we arrive at his residence, and he had tried to give his house a gothic feel. Grayish gargoyles stood at the corners of his roof. Black iron gates glowered at the front of his house, and a statuary lined the walk to his front door. Long grass had overgrown his yard. If his house hadn't been a red roof, white-walled stucco transplant from somewhere in Southern California, it might have worked. The results looked more like the haunted mansion at Disneyland than an ominous abode of a speaker to the dead. The black iron gates stood surrounded by plain chain-link fence. The gargoyles, on closer inspection, proved to be plastic reproductions. The statuary, too, had rough outlines of plaster rather than the clean, sweeping profile of marble. You could have plopped a pink flamingo down right in the middle of the unmowed weeds and it would have somehow matched the decor. But I suppose, at night, with the right lighting and the right attitude, some people might have believed it. Which is, it's a facade. This facade of this gothic gargoyles, it's fake. Just like Mortimer. This is the introduction we have to him. And it's a great depiction of his falsehoods being portrayed in his, I guess, landscaping. We encounter Mortimer, who is a well-rounded set of shoulders below a shining balding head backed through the doorway grunting. He's a little, a little grunty man and he's moving in and out the house. And Harry walks into the house, and we see a little bit more of the description of his residence. I sidled into the doorway as he turned to lug the bag out to the gate, muttering to himself under his breath. I shook my head and went into the house. The door was a business entrance. There was no tingling sensation of crossing the threshold of a dwelling uninvited. The front room reminded me of the house's exterior. Lots of black curtains draped down over the walls and doorways. Red and black candles squatted all over the place. A grinning human skull leered from the bookshelf, straining to contain copies of the Encyclopedia Britannica, with the lettering scraped off their spines. The skull was plastic, too. It's just, this man is trying to create this ominous look, and it's all fake. It's all fucking fake. Tells us a lot about Morty. And so, you know, Harry sits in a, sits in a table sits at the table, rather. A little man came back in, wiping out his face with a bandana handkerchief, sweating and panting. Shut the door, I said. We need to talk, Morty. He squealed and whirled around. You, he stammered. Dresden, what are you doing here? He's so, he was so oblivious that he came in. Like, he didn't see Harry come in. It was just, it's crazy. Uh, And he's, he moves with the energy of a spooked cat. His business shirt is stained beneath his arms. And he says, look, Justin, I told you guys before, I get the rules, right? I haven't been doing anything you guys talked about. This is where, okay, the White Council did some something out. Uh, send someone out. Morty was a con man. Let me tell you something, Morty. I feel like Morty needs another voice. I, his accent may change, I'm just telling you. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you something, Morty. When I come into the place and don't say a thing except let's talk, and the first thing I hear is I didn't do it. It makes me think that person I'm talking to must have done something. You know what I'm, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Well, and this is this is the statement that made me think he needs a different vo different voice. No way, man. Look, I got nothing to do with it. What's been going on? Not my fault. None of my business, man. A uh, little Long Island action there. So Morty knows something's going down. And he says, oh, look, Mr. Dresden, I, my sister got sick. See, I'm just going to help her. He's leaving town in a hurry. And sit down, Morty. I'd like to, but I got a cab coming. And he vent him again. The door slams. Great trick. Sit down now, Morty. I've got a few questions. Now, if you cut the crap, you'll make your cab. And if not, I left the words hanging. One thing about intimidation is that people can always think up something worse that you could do to them than you can if you leave their imagination some room to play. So he's using silence or perhaps the lack of words to instill fear. And, this, you know, is a, and this is a technique he uses a lot. Oh, yeah. But it's right it, like that. So Let, letting them figure out, letting them fill in the blanks. Well, and that's also so well, I took a course on interview and interrogation. And one of the things that they teach you is just let them talk. Let them talk. And I mean, in my professional world, that makes a, a lot of sense because I deal with grieving people. I'm not going to cut them off and talk over them. I'm just going to let them talk. And a lot of the time you get information that you didn't know you needed. You didn't know was out there. So it's very, it's a, it's a great investigative technique. It's a great interrogation technique. We learned a little bit about Morty's past. And he, uh, Harry says, I mean, 20 years ago, you were a pretty damn good investigator. Sensitivity to spiritual energies and apparitions, ghosts, what we call an ectomancer in the business. He says, that was a long time ago. And now what? You run seances for people? So we've got a little bit more information here about Morty. He's a con. He runs seances. He says, I provide a legitimate service to people in need. No, you play on their grief to take them for all that you can. You don't believe that you're doing right, Morty, deep down. You can justify it any way you want, but you don't like what you're doing. If you did, your powers wouldn't have faded like they have. Remember, we were talking about, with dealing with the loop guru, we were talking about that, that having faith in yourself also triggers these powers. So that's an interesting kind of moment there. Because remember, we had Harry losing all of his powers because he just didn't have faith in himself, it seemed like. So, you know... He's like, we've got shit going on here. In the past two weeks, the spooks have been going mad. You can see the trouble they've caused. And Morty says, yeah, yeah, thanks. You and the Knight of the Sword have been covering the worst of it. What else has been happening, Morty? I'm getting a little cranky losing sleep, so keep it short and simple. I don't know. <laughs> he said, sullen. I've lost my powers, remember? But you hear things, Morty. You've still got some sources in the Never Never. Why are you leaving town? You said you read all my books. Did you read They Shall Rise? Glanced over it. End of the world type stuff. I figured you'd been talking to the wrong kind of spirits too much. And this is our big kind of baddie reveal. Then you read my theory on the barrier between our world and the Never Never. Then it's slowly being torn away. And you think it's falling to pieces now. Morty, that wall has been there since the dawn of time. I don't think it's going to collapse now. Wall? He said the word with a sneer. More like saran wrap, wizard. Like jello. It bends and wiggles and stirs. He rubbed his palms on his thighs, shivering. And it's falling now. Look around you, he shouted. Good God, wizard, the past two weeks, the water's been waggling back and forth like a Hawkeye at a dock workers convention. Why the hell do you think all of these ghosts have been rising? You're saying that the ins this instability has been making it easier for ghosts to cross over from the never, never? And easier to form bigger, strong ghosts when people die. You think you got some pissed off ghosts now? Wait until some honor student on her way out of the South Side with a college scholarship gets popped by accident in a gang shootout. Wait until some poor sap who got AIDS from a blood transfusion breathes his last. Bigger batter ghosts super ghosts that's what you're talking about new generation of viruses is coming too things are going to hell all over eventually that border is going to get thin enough to spit through 
and you'll have more problems with demons attack than gang violence. So basically, the wall is coming down. There's turbulence. And the wall. Um, and Morty says, you don't know what it's like, Dresden, to speak things that exist in the past and in the future as well as in the, as in the now. To have them walk up to you at the salad bar and start telling you how they murdered their wife in a sleep. I mean, you think you've got a hold on things that you understand. But in the end, it all falls to pieces. A con is simpler, Dresden. You make order. People don't forgive a flying fuck if Uncle Jeffrey really forgives him for missing his last birthday party. You want to know some, Know that the world is a, a place where Uncle Jeffrey can and should forgive him? That's what I sell them. Closure. Like on television. They want to know what it's all going to work out in the end. They're all happy to pay for it. An interesting perspective on a very interesting perspective, and I love it. And it's it's his view of the con, but it's also gives us a little insight. The first time I listened to it, I was like, "Does he have Cassandra's tears too?" Where to speak things that exist in the past and in the future as well as the now, but to have them walk up to you, I think is he's having he has yeah on. again like that's one of the things that's like what okay. the Ectomount uh, answer is is you just have a really good. Uh-huh. A powerful connection with ghosts and spirits to yeah. the other side. So, and you mentioned necromancer. Necromancer is different because he's not trying to raise. Well, they refer to him. They refer to him as a necromancer at one point. I think they do. Yeah, uh, Father in the yeah yeah they do in the other chapter. And just Father or Father Fornhill. Um, but Father Fornhill does does uh, what he's talking about. Well, yes, but no, that's fair. I don't. Uh, I just didn't remember that. Um, just because it's they're very different, very different skill sets. Um, the, oh no, totally different things. Yeah, and certainly from a, talking to the dead versus rising, raising the dead. White Council perspective, one of those is uh, the what I say the third or fourth law of magic is to raise the dead. Yeah, well, because Michael's Michael says he's the necromancer, and Harry says not. No, he's no macro, ne- necromancer. He can barely call up a ghost and talk to it. He's got to fake it most of the time. Had he been a real necromancer, the White Council would have had hounded him down and beheaded him. Exactly. So the, it's the fifth law of magic for those keeping track. Thou shalt not reach beyond the borders of life. Mm. Okay. So we talk, we learn a little bit about what's going on. And Harry says, I mean, sorry, Marty says it's big. It's, and it's pissed off. It's going to start killing Dresden. And I don't think you or anyone else is going to be able to stop it. But it's a ghost. He gave me a smile that showed me his canines. It was creepy on that florid, eyes too wide face. It's a nightmare. I mean, shit. And that's that is a whole other thing. And then he tells Dresden, under my chair, there's a draw. My notes. If you want to kill yourself trying to stand up to this thing, you might as well know what you're getting into. So he's he's written down all of the information about this has gone on. And, Harry, you know, Harry's questioning this. It's a nightmare. Could Mort be right? Could the barrier between the spirit world and our world be falling apart? The thought made me shudder. All power, no matter how terrible or benign, whether its wielder is aware of it or not, has a purpose. So this nightmare, capital N this time, was here for something. He has now personified the nightmare. Yeah, that is one of those very subtle shifts. Because they mentioned nightmare before, and and it's, it's always lowercase. And then this is the nightmare was here. Yeah, this, this is an persona nightmare. This is the, the nightmare. nightmare. Yes, a hundred percent. And it's some spooky shit. It's great though. Fabulous. I wondered what it wanted. Wondered what it would do. And worried that all too soon, I would find out. I just love the. He's some great chapter endings. He truly, truly does. 
Yeah, really, really good, really good stuff. So he ends up having to take a cab back to his home, and he just starts to kind of flip through the journals, and an unmarked car sat in his driveway with two nondescript men inside. And it turns out it's Detective Rudolph and... Rudy! It's Rudy and uh, Detective Sergeant John Stalling. So uh, just a fun exchange. He's like, you know, hey, what's up? Get in the car. Am I under arrest? And... <laughs> I do like just the juxtaposition here of how Stallings treats Harry and how Rudolph treats Harry. Very true. Just a lot of fun. How you doing, John? What brings you out today? Murph wanted 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 us to ask you down to a seat. Hope you got time. You know, he's got the books in his hands. He's like, can can, I wait? And then Rudolph says, the lieutenant says she wants you down there now. So you get your ass down there now. (laughs) That's just some... Whatever, I just like well, it's, it's a juxtaposition between the self-importance of a cop and someone who understands human nature and is hey you know could you would you mind coming down? Yeah, exactly. I also like where he gives Rudolph a look and then rolls his eyes, <laughs> like very clearly. Like it's a good cop, bad cop thing, but in this yeah. case, it's not done for like the cops' benefit. It's just no. shut Why the fuck up, Rudy. Rudolph's just a fucking idiot. He's just being annoying. I do, I do like the, the lieutenant says she wants you down there, so you get down there. Yeah, it was just kind of funny. But she says it's personal. And obviously, that means Harry's coming, you know, immediately. Yeah, because this girl's a double. And he says, you know, she it's Mickey Malone. Dead? You better come see for yourself. I don't like that because he's not dead. Yeah. And you would have said no. I thought they don't know what the You better come see. Oh, what's going on? Oh, exactly. But is he dead? He would say no. Yeah, that's true. But you better come see for yourself. You know what I mean? Like, there would be a, he would answer in the negative there just so he's not worried that this guy's dead, right? Yeah. It just seems weird. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah, he's he's obviously a little frustrated because he's losing time. You only have until sunrise, sunset rather, to study before it's time to go to Woik. Let's go to Woik. He talks about how, you know, special investigations is kind of his bread and butter so obviously he's not really going to be able to turn this down but he hops in the car they're heading over there and he's kind of like half sleeping lounging in the back he opens an eye and sees rudolph scowling at him in the mirror he half smiled back and closed his eyes again mm-hmm. <laughs> just just it's just a, it's like it's a teenage boy response to things yeah exactly just you know the cop is being a dick so he's just going to be annoying right mm-hmm. back in his face uh, they get to the house, and he gets this uneasy feeling, he says. He gets, like, prickly. And he goes and he finds a dead cat in the bushes, which, in and of itself, cats die sometimes. Outdoor cats die all the time. But it doesn't make sense that he would have felt the, a draw to this. But clearly, somebody did this. The way and no neck- way the cat's dead, yeah. Yeah, the neck was snapped. This wasn't random. The cat got bit, bit by a coyote or something. This cat got its neck snapped by, you know, some... Something. 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 Capital. Something. But there's also a bunch of other dead animals in the same area, Mm -hmm. which suggests, you know, something nefarious was sitting here just popping dead creatures, which, to be fair, could have been a cat, except that the cat got its neck broken. But this is exactly what a cat would do. Just be bored and sit there and kill stuff, which is why I love cats. (laughs) What nature's great predators, the common house cat. Actually, truly. House cats are like incredible. By predators, I mean they kill for fun. They they get very human sometimes. White. But so you know, he's looking at this and he realizes, you know, again, just something 
happen. There's some power here with all these dead creatures. You know, he ends up deciding to start heading in. And he asks if Mrs. Malone is around. Can you come invite him in? There's just an interesting back and forth where Rudolph calls him a, a fucking showboat. And Stalling says, hang on, kid, let the man work. We've both, we've both seen what he can do. And this line bothers me a lot, not from a poor writing mm-hmm. or poor characterization standpoint, but from a poor being Rudolph standpoint, where he says, I haven't seen shit that can't be explained, Rudolph growled, but he stayed put. <laughs> Those two lines back to back, meaning he has seen shit that can't be explained. He's saying he hasn't because he's a douchebag. He literally was standing next to him when he blasted a hole in the wall. In book he two. He saw it all. So he's just a liar. Yeah. He's just yeah. being a piece of shit, being annoying, <laughs> stamping his feet. But also, he stays put. <laughs> you know, like, he doesn't get in the way. He doesn't fuck with what he's trying to do. So it's just interesting. But Stallings comes over and sees all the dead animals, and he's just trying to, like, what the fuck did all, did this? He's like, oh, it might take me a second to find out. But where's Mickey? Inside. Well, then, let's go. Mm-hmm. So we get a little bit of a description of the house and Harry says that it was a home. Rudolph is giving him a hard time for needing an invitation and fucking Count Dracula. <laughs> Who are you? Count Dracula? Draculus. Is Dracula still in Eastern Europe? Last time we checked. I love that. I have no problem with that complaint. Again, like that's absolutely how I would respond. Like what the fuck's wrong with you, bro? Um <laughs> Rudy is actually pretty reasonable. Sometimes he's just yeah. a little prick. It's just funny. No, totally. <laughs> Again, he's got some, there's some interesting characterization in this novel in particular for Rudy that may or may not fit long term. Okay. I'm intrigued by getting your thoughts on him as we go. I don't this. like him right now. Uh, okay, so Harry says, look, homes, places that people live in and love and have built a life in a kind of power of their own. If a bunch of strangers had been trooping in and out all day, I wouldn't have any trouble with the threshold. But you're not. You guys are friends. Like Murphy has said, this one is personal. Stallings frowned. So you can't come in? Well, I can come in, I said, but I'd be leaving most of what I can do at the door. The threshold would mess with me being able to work any forces in this house. We learned about threshold magic with Cal Strickock. Whatever his name is. And I'm glad that you don't remember his name. I can't say his name. <laughs> no, it's that's, that's good for all, the, all of us. So I can't say his name three times? You can't call upon him. What shit, Rudolph snorted. Count Dracula. Harry, Stallings said. Can't we invite can't we invite you in? No, it has to be someone who lives there. Besides, it's polite, I said. I don't like to go places where I'm not welcome. Same, Harry, same. I'd feel a lot better if I knew it was all right with Mrs. Malone for me to be here. And so Stallings starts to ask some questions, and I know this is partially exposition, but I also wrote in my notes. Is stalling fishing for info? It's like it's, it's it's one of those good exposition conversations, you know? Like it's it really is. It's the wait, it's not him being like, Well, what what would a wizard say in this scenario? It's like, wait, why not, man? Like, you know, like you I just walked in. Like, why can't you? You know, it, like it's just like again, like yeah. a typical this is a conversational explanation. Yeah. You know, like you were talking about in uh, way back with our good our good dog toot toot, where mm-hmm. Like, this is just how this conversation would yes. go in real life. It's very yeah. much a, oh, no, no, I could come in, but there's a da 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 because of this and all that, you know? Mm-hmm. And even better, 
Rudolph reacting the way he he reacts is also very realistic. You know what yeah, I mean? Like it really is. It's a great scene where you get some characterization, you get some yeah juxta sub well, uh, exposition, and it's all it's all bound together really neatly. And I just I love that that exchange right there is one of my favorites in these six chapters. Well, and and the other thing that you know because I was like, is Stallings fishing for information? But it, the thing is also is he's a detective. Exactly. He's curious. That's yeah. That's his job. Yeah. He wants to know the deets. He says, so you can't do some magic inside a house unless someone asks you in? Not a house, I said. A home. There's a difference. So what about Victor Sell's place? I hear you took him, took him on, right? Great little retcon here. I shook my head. He screwed up his threshold. He was running a business out of it, using the place for dark ceremonies. It wasn't a home anymore. So you can't mess with anything on his home turf. So I... I sorry. I just... That, my throat, that, that, I, that's a c- common term in comic books specifically but really in a lot of lore but it's a big thing in comic books we call it a retcon which is retroactive continuity where it's they explanations they explain how things work on the back end basically like yeah oh no no, no, that wasn't a mistake dude like you know especially in in a book like this where you're introducing new lore every single novel Mm -hmm. sometimes the new lore will contradict with the old lore so what you do is you just hand wave the old stuff and say, "Oh no, it was actually da 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 da." So in this case, yeah. no, 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 he was doing he was doing business out of his home, uh, which again makes sense and it's fine, but it definitely was something jarring. And I think we may have even mentioned it in this podcast where he talks about homestead law, or you know, is what how he refers to threshold. The, yeah, the threshold magic. Yeah, but he refers to it as homestead law in uh-huh. Stormfront. But I I referred to it as, as threshold, and he may have also called it that, but. Just there was definitely some fuzziness with what we know now. And this just kind of hand waves that away. Like, no, no, no. It, Victor Sells was doing business. So it wasn't a home anymore. And really, he didn't even really have to say that because the, the lake house was never a home. It was yeah. a, you know, it was a beach house. So yeah, it, they didn't really, they didn't really need to do that. But I just like that is kind of a, a good little retcon there, which is good stuff. It also brings us back to that first, um, the first novel, which is good. So you can't mess with anything on its own turf. Can't mess with mortals, no. Monsters don't get a threshold. Why not? How the hell should I know, I said. <laughs> they just don't. I can't know everything. Guess so, Stalling said. And after a minute, he nodded. Sure, I see what you mean. So it shuts you down. Not completely. But it's like a lot harder to do anything. Like wearing a lead suit. That's why vampires have to keep out. Other nasties like that. If you give them that much of a handicap, they have troubles just staying alive, much less using any freaky powers. Stallings shook his head. This magic crap. I never would have believed it before I came here. I still have trouble with it. Yeah? That's good. Means you aren't running into it too much. Could be changing. Last couple of days, we've had some people go missing. Bums, street people, folks some of the cops and the detectives know. It's all rumor so far. And people like that... They can just be gone from the next day. But since I started working SI, stuff like that makes me nervous. <laughs> Which is great. He's such a sharp cop. Mm-hmm. Not as sharp yeah. as Carmichael would have been, but still pretty Nobody's good. Sharp. Nobody's sharp as Carmichael. R.I.P. But, you know, and Harry's thinking about, well, we've got the fucking vampires all coming in town for a party. Shit. He says, I didn't want to stick the cops on her for no reason. I'm pretty sure Bianca had the resources to send them back at me. And she could probably make it look like I'd done something to deserve it, too. Besides that, in the circles of the supernatural community, an old world code of conduct still rules. When you have a problem, you settle it face to face 
within the circle. You don't bring in the cops and other mortals as weapons. They're the nuclear missiles of the supernatural world. Makes sense. Yeah. And he says, and it doesn't. It's very interesting. But he talks about how, like, you know, and, and mortals are going to kill both the supernaturals. Both guys are scary. So if you ace both of them, and you, so you ace both of them and sleep better at night. So we've got, you know, that's good lore, kind of good information that we're getting about history and background. And it all falls in so, so well here. And then we meet Sonia Malone. She is described very in-depth, not sexualized, because she's an older lady, thankfully. And, or because uh, he's doing a better job of it. It could be. Could be either one. And she says, Mr. Dresden, Mickey told me he saved his life last year. I coughed and looked down, though I guess it was true, technically, and I still didn't see it that way. We all did everything we could, ma'am. Your husband was very brave. And, you know, so she invites him in. She says, uh, if you can help my Mickey, please come in. I invite you. Very specific. And so we learned that he was up late the night before. Sometimes he couldn't sleep and he didn't get to bed till late. She got up early and let him sleep in. And then she can't talk about it. She can't say what happened. And that, you know, she's a cop's wife. She probably seen a lot, dealt with a lot. So that says a lot. And Karen is there. And we get a ridiculous description of Karen. She doesn't look like somebody who would stand with her feet planted, putting tiny silver bullets into an oncoming freight train of a Lucaroo either. But she was. Just this description of her, though, is actually the rest of it is 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 good. He always he likes to talk about how weak and, and frail she looks, which always bothers me. But Karen looked up at me from her five foot nothing in height. Her blue eyes, sort of a clear and bright, look sunken. She'd shoved her golden hair under a baseball cap and wore jeans and a white T-shirt. Her shoulder harness wrinkled the cotton around the shoulder where her sidearm hung. Lines stood out like cracks in a sun-baked field around her mouth. Her eyes. Hi, Harry, she said. Her voice was too quiet, gruff. Hiya, Murph. You don't look so good. She tried to smile. It looked ghastly. I I didn't know who else to call. So we're shown Mickey. Mickey is, is handcuffed to the bed. And he is a, quote, helter-skelter, with a helter-skelter gleam of madness. His fingernails are crusted with his own blood. He's covered in scratches. And he's panting and grinning. And he could, and Harry could smell sweat and urine in the room. Gross. It's, he's just, he turned his head toward me and his eyes widened. He sucked in a breath and threw back his head in a long falsetto pitched scream like a coyote's. Then he started laughing and rocking back and forth, jerking on the steel restraints, making the bed shake in a steady squeaking rhythm. Sonia called this morning, Murphy said in toneless. She'd locked herself into her closet and had a cellular. We got her right before Mickey was finished breaking down the closet door. She called the cops? No. She called me. Said she didn't want them to see Mickey like this. That it would ruin him. I shook my head. Damn, brave lady. And he's been like this ever since? Yeah, he was just crazy mean. Screaming and spitting and biting. Hasn't said a word. Just animal noises. She asks what happened to him. And here he's like, you better give me a minute to find out. And she keeps asking, pushing and pushing. And, and he's like, I don't know. And she snaps at him. And she leaves the room. Yeah, this is one of well, those. Before she, before she leaves, hold on. Before she leaves the room, she says, Harry, I swear, if you can't help him. Her voice caught in her throat and tears sparkled in her eyes. He's one of mine, damn it. That bothers me because I don't think she would be like that. I think she would go cold. She wouldn't go tears in her eyes. She would go cold. She would be angry. He's one of ours. He's one of mine. Yeah, that's all seen. 
it feels like Stormfront Murphy, where she just gets fussy for no reason. And obviously, I don't mean no reason as in there's no reason to be upset here. Like, this is a very good reason to be upset. But this does not feel like an appropriate reaction for the Murphy that we've come to know over the last two novels. Exactly. She's she's a lot tougher. She's a lot, you know. Yeah. And I get the point is, like, this is happening to one of one of hers, you know, one of her people. But, like, that's she's why she would, be, she would be pissed. Yeah. yeah like, Murphy would she get would, pissed. She would be more stoic. And she does do the like, damn it, Harry, you better well you well better yeah. find out. That is her. She might Yeah, she might cry in front of him, but she wouldn't cry in that room with the other cops. Well, the other cops aren't in the room. This is just Well, she I thought there was somebody else in there. No, this is this is just the two of them. So like your 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 you know, your your point there is is fair. I just she would I could see her getting upset. I don't know. It just all she knows how he operates and it takes him a second. Wizards aren't abracadabra i mean it isn't literally abracadabra but it's not it's not just like instantaneous you know like yeah she's also impatient because he is one of theirs i'll give you that yeah it just seems iffy is all it's not terrible it's not atrocious it just seems like she's kind of backtracked a couple novels as opposed to like trusting she found a level of trust for up for harry at the end of crave of uh full moon that's just not there it's not present here and i feel like that Again, because she's in that scenario, it makes some sense, but I... I feel like she's mischaracterizing the scene. Yeah, that's exactly. Because I I get her being impatient. She would totally be impatient because that's how she is every time. She is impatient. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? But I don't think that she would cry. I don't think she would let herself feel. He tries to feminize her too much and make her... Well, Harry needs to save her again. That's what this feels like, and that irritated me. That this is this is devolving into Harry needs to save her. And it bothered me. That's all. Yeah. That's where I'm at. And I get that, you know, she's upset because she doesn't want to lose another one. You know, because Mickey's been, what you know, they've been on a team together for a while, so. Yeah, and she did, you know, lost Carmichael very recently. So there's a, there's a lot to it. It's, it's not, it's, God bless. It's not out of left field by any means. It's just a little, this doesn't feel right. In my mind. The, yeah. The reaction is wrong just because she's a cop. She's a cop that she's a young she is. female she's a cop. cop who's moved up to lieutenant. Yeah. It just, again, it's not crazy bad and it's not like yikesy no, bad. No. It's more it's, just, it doesn't feel like mischaracterized. It doesn't, exactly. Mischaracterized. It doesn't feel like Murphy. But yeah. Did you want to finish that? Or is, no. That was the end. Yeah. She leaves him alone with a madman, which is, is good stuff. So that was a, uh, but it seems like a quick couple of chapters here. And again, not a ton happens, but there's a bunch of chunky lore bites in here that are really good. Do you have any quick analysis, thoughts, uh, questions coming up? Okay. Shoot. Not really quick, but. All right. So I've said this on multiple occasions, but in this chunk of chapters, the power of words Okay, words and will. We've talked. I've talked about this before. Words and, and we're, we're literally so. doing a podcast on books. I know the power know, of words is very evident here. I see. but but in in this in the lore, power of words and will. Yes. Okay, and so we, the first introduction we get is Charity's power of words and will. 
because her her love and faith and devotion to her husband, those pow- the power of the words, the things she says, she's, you know, it's almost like she has her own incantations when she's snarling, quote, at Harry. My husband is engaged in many important activities, with, which dubiously term your help. But it's when you're around that he seems to come back covered in blood. And but it's just she's just she is her. It's her strength and her power. You know, I'll have you know that if you ever get my man, get my Michael into trouble so deep that he can't come home to his family, I will make you sorry for it. That's a threat. But I believe it also felt like an incantation. And it's just such a strong that power of will, her power of will. Okay. And then our next indication of power of will and word um, is with Father Fort Hill. Is that his name? Father Fort Hill. Fort Hill. Yeah. Fort Hill. He in, in the, the in paragraph. In, sorry, in chapter nine, we have a lot of the power of will. When all of the shit's going down at the church, and father, the father is saying prayers and his incantations, his spells. When all he tells us everything that's going on outside is that he's chanting spells. It's you know it's the gospel. I began to compel it by the holy word, and it went quite quite mad. Yeah, his spell book was just edited by King James. Mm-hmm, exactly. And there's a couple other indications where, you know, I talked about evil gains power from fear, where that's the emotions and things like that. But the other thing, in that same same paragraph, he says, but spreading word of it to everyone, even to all of the brethren, brethren would accomplish nothing but to frighten many people and to make them make the enemy that much more able to do harm. The power of words is frightening. The power, and, and that he's... He's using the power of words in kind of the the opposite way where he's not giving the bad guy power because those words are being taken away. He again, you know, we get the power coming from the sign of the cross. But again, it's the power of words. It's all of this where all of these prayers are the power of words. Words and will together is so important. We've no, we've heard that. We've heard that. But even um, at one point, Michael says, Faith, Harry, God has a way of seeing to it that things fall into place. And remember, last book we or last week, we compared faith to will, spells to prayers. And that's very much where this that it's Michael is a powerful wizard with his great faith. And I just I I really liked that in these chapters where it was something that I, I just kept coming back to, like the power of words, the power of will, the prayer is a spell. The incantations are a spell in their way. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I like it. Again, it goes goes back to what we were talking about last week. Of the faith magic is just a different type of magic. It's it's yeah. will and words, yeah, directed with power. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, and then we also have words and bringing things into being with Morty talking about the past, the present, and the future, hearing from ghosts. You know, the it's future not... was interesting there. What ghosts know about the future? Yeah, because he d- he does mention the future, and it's kind of like hmm. Um, and, and, you know, with the power of language, again, we, with Nightmare, the capitalization of Nightmare, which was great. Yeah. Um, and there's just, again, it, it's the way that, I mean, yes, he's an author, so he's got an understanding of language, but the manipulation of language and the use of the, of the, of the similes, you know, we're comparing prayer to magical incantations and I fucking love it. I think it's fantastic. Oh, it's great. I mean, and it. It's, again, not super overt, but it's very clearly what's happening. And it, I like that angle. This is, it's hard to have 
religious characters, especially hyper-religious characters like Michael and Charity and Father mm-hmm. Fordhill, who are proselytizing and they're trying to convince Harry to, you know what I mean? Like, these aren't, like, soft. It's not like being a Christian is a part of, a soft part of their character. Like, mm-hmm. it's a big part of who they are. Yeah. And it's at the forefront and it's still done. Presumably he's a Christian. I think he's a Baptist, somebody was saying, but, like, um, uh, Butcher himself. Okay. But having these characters be overtly Christian and and not be not have it feel over the top and annoying if that makes sense and, and I, I totally that, like, totally get it totally it's an it. over the top annoying atheist like it I love unabashedly love Michael Carpenter <laughs> he's one of my favorite characters and he doesn't get less this way you know what I mean like yeah. this is who he is and I love him and so to to weave that, you know, thread that needle there where it's not overbearing. I don't know if that's a fair, like I said, I realize I'm coming at this from my perspective here is very different than certainly the target audience of a Michael Carpenter fan. Right. But I love the guy just, there's definitely something there about like your faith being powerful and a part of who you are, but it doesn't need to be all of who you are. You know I mean? Yes. And, it, and it, that doesn't make it less important. That doesn't make it less powerful, mm-hmm. but He's a good man, not because he's religious, but he's a good man and he's very religious and he's a very good Catholic because he's a good man. If that yeah. all fits together without me sounding too, you know, inappropriate to any. No, no, no. I think that I, I think that it's he is he is a Catholic, but he is also a good man. And those things don't always go hand in hand. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, not even just I'm not just saying just Catholics. I'm saying anyone who is his who is uh, extremely religious. And yeah, no, it's just very it's much. Just, I understand exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. In this day and age, that's just something that is, uh, and you know, and and in many days and ages. But it, <laughs> you find me a day and age when that wasn't true. Seriously, um, but that's the thing where it's his, his morality is part of who he is. It's not completely reliant on scripture. His faith isn't. It, he doesn't also he doesn't wield his faith like a weapon against Harry. He wields his faith as a weapon against the bad guys, yeah. which is an interesting balance there. Oh, the other thing I, I, with the will of words, words and will, having having Sonia invite him in is another uh, example of words and will and power, which I thought. Yeah, absolutely. It's just everywhere. Um, Just popped into my head. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I mean. Are you done with that thought there? Yeah, no, I totally am. Sorry. Just just oh, no, it's just a perfect segue into my, one of my notes here, which is more about thresholds. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the growing lore we have. Where's Sapatico? I'm telling you. <laughs> the, the growing lore we have around threshold magic and the power of homes and mm-hmm. the power of, you know, the words obviously matter and her, her accepting him into her home mm-hmm. is incredibly powerful and important. But at the end of the day there, it's, you know, the home has a power, this yes. fa- family and love. And it, like you're, it, it's again, just a really cool, it, it's not new, certainly not new, right? I mean, when you see thresholds in every piece of vampire lore in the mm-hmm. history of vampire stories, but um, yeah, it's um, att- attaching that to every kind of every school of magic i loved it is just a cool why wouldn't why would it only apply to vampires that yeah that makes a lot less sense from a lore perspective than mm-hmm. it applying to everything so 
yeah, no, I thought that was really good yeah. and um, a very cool way to go about it. Uh, we learned about a whole new school of magic, ectomancy. We don't learn a ton about it, but we just learned that it exists and that there's certain people Sounds who... like he talks to dead people. Exactly. Um, Same which part. is... <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, I like that. That's funny. <laughs> the, uh, beyond that, though, just, you know, more... Who knows? But those those books might might come up. Hopefully, we'll have some good information for our uh, bumbling hero coming through here. Mm-hmm. But some interesting stuff about the uh, the dead animals. I thought that was interesting. Mm. Again, without knowing too much about why mm-hmm. the dead animals are are dead and doing their thing, it's still very interesting. Well, the the thing with the dead animals that actually uh, it. Not necessarily piqued my interest, but made me think about, you know, like in the satanic panic time, the the 80s and 90s where anything, you know, anything that happened, it was always uh, those Satanist kids. There's always a cult involved and things like that. That kind of made me think of that, which is it was interesting that that wasn't involved here, which I liked that because that would have been so cliche and it would have been appropriate, you know, time wise, timing wise, you know, early 2000s. But I liked it because it was just like, oh, nobody said it was cold, not even the cops. Oh, yeah. They didn't even go there. That's funny. No, not even, didn't even touch it. That would have been so easy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it would have been super easy. And I really liked that they didn't go there. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, those are my. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, Beyond that, um, I guess I wanted to touch real briefly on. Where he calls her charity, Harry does. Harry calls her charity, and she corrects him, Mrs. Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, don't fuck with her. Well, don't fuck with her, but also, that is... He's not using her whole name. He's not, but I just found that to be very interesting, you know, especially based on a lot of the conversations we've had around this podcast mm-hmm. with the meaning of honorifics and names oh that's a good point and she she gets mad at harry for calling her charity mm-hmm. it doesn't mean a lot yet it may not you know and again i i don't mean that yet as in like ooh, i just spoiler alert no it it it's just i i based on our conversation last week i felt the need to point that out it's kind <laughs> no of, i like it and just again interesting if if only that, it's interesting. It's certainly it's the demand for it's the demand for the honorific. Exactly. Like Marcone. Like Marcone, like Harry with Marcone. Um, like, you know, Sir Obvious. Sir Obvious is my favorite version yes. of that. Yes. <laughs> yikes. All right. On the yikes front, this was great. Right? Not too bad. Honestly, it's only Kelly's description. Honestly, that was the only part that I was like, oh, Ellie, the vampire. Oh, Kelly Hamilton. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, no, I just didn't remember who, who Kelly Wait, was. My home girl, Kelly. Soon to be your boss on the slopes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Kelly and Kyle or, are uh, interesting on their own. Yeah. No, I, this is, again, it's six chapters, but now we're 12 chapters in and we've had to kind of reach for all the yikes. Yeah. We haven't had to reach far for some of them, but they're definitely not, it's not over the top, which is again, one of the points that I wanted to make in this podcast, and not that I wanted to make, that I was hoping would become apparent 
mm-hmm. is that that sheet cuts out real early in the series. Yeah. And uh, again, there's a there's some that I'm thinking of, and there's a reference to one piece of adolescent women's clothing that comes up constantly uh-huh. over the next 15 novels that is just so unnecessary. But it's pretty... That's a weird spoiler, and I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, <laughs> there. It it seems to be pretty good moving forward, and so hopefully that is the case as we get through this. So yeah, so I don't actually have any notes on Yikes, and sometimes I've been digging real deep. So kudos, Mr. Butcher, for this week. <laughs> that does uh, bump us right into the quotes section, yes. though. What uh, what are you feeling on the quote section? So this, <laughs> I have two, obviously, and they're in the same cha- chapter. So uh-huh. <laughs> the first one is. Relationships had never really worked for me. I think it had something to do with all the demons, ghosts, and human sacrifice. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, in, in regards to this, like in reference to this, like my real life example, I was... Just so we're clear, I'm actively deleting one of my quotes here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so in re- this is a very similar sort of situation. It's not exactly similar. No human sacrifices. But I was on a scene... Mm-hmm. I've no human sacrifices. What are we even doing now? Just a different kind of sacrifice. But I had a a case where it was there was brain matter on this on the roadway, and I picked it up. I'm checking out. And I had a a CHP officer ask me what it felt like, and I kind of squished it. And I was like, "Well, it's squishy." He's like, "Like Jello?" Hey, touch it. Reached it out to him, and his trainer came over and was like, "Were you gonna touch a brain?" He's like, "Oh God, no. I don't have gloves." I offered him my gloves. And uh, they both looked at me like I was crazy. I turned around and my transport guy was holding a, a biohazard bag and I put it in and said, this is why I'm still sickle. <laughs> there have been many occasions where it's like, oh, it's a piece of lung. <laughs> and again, this, why I'm single. It's really magical. Quite magical. All right, Joshua, you can come back. Okay. <laughs> if it helps, my, my experience was, was probably worse there because I was reading an article that involved Elon Musk. Oh, God. But, uh, what were we talking about? Dresden? Fi- we still talking about Dresden Files? Yeah, we're still talking about Dresden Files, and we were... The, the quotes. We're doing our quotes. Oh, okay. Quotes. Are you do, we, do, we, do I do my second quote? Well, I don't know. I don't even... Uh, you're, is it, does that one involve brain matter also? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Oh, good, good, good. No brain matter stories for that one. Yeah, go for it. The second one is, I stood there for a second, like a floundering goob. <laughs> and just like that one. So, yeah. Really good. Mm-hmm. Those are great. Well... I had to go deep into my bag here, get to quote number three. My first quote, though, is still, Michael half smiled. The Lord will never give you a burden bigger than your shoulders can bear, Harry. All we can do is face what comes and have faith. Hmm. Which is the quote that he throws back in Michael's face about charity a few lines later. But then I gave him a sour glance. I need to get myself some bigger shoulders then. Someone in accounting must have made a mistake. I love that. (laughs) Someone in accounting. (laughs) <laughs> exactly I love it though I also I did also love the magic nail gun quote the magic nail gun was good I also had the first half of your relationships never uh, worked out the the married the married thing oh sometimes I look at it and feel like yes. someone from a Dickens novel standing outside in the cold and staring in at Christmas dinner <laughs> and then into yours but I'll go another one you already referenced it but it was it was too good to only say once on the podcast uh-huh. vampires on a diet Susan mur- murmured beneath her breath yeah I said back Makers of blood light. Uh, just, love it. again, that they're in a life or death situation here and they're just joking about dumb shit. Is- yeah. But it, it's then 
You know, it's very much how those characters have developed, and I love it. Exactly. So, good stuff. That's all I have on the quotes here. Uh, we're blasting through hour number three of the podcast today. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, how are you looking on? Did you get yourself a crackpot theory this week, or how we feel? I don't have a crackpot theory. I still feel like there might be something to do with Knights Templar and Mr. Michael Carpenter. Okay. Which, I mean, a little, little bit there, a little bit there. I mean, Susan and I, though, Susan is my uh, my portraying me in the story here. Um, <laughs> the sleep- Her avatar. She, the sleeping Arthurian knight is pretty spectacular. You know, that's the thing. Where it's like, he's got some night vibes. You know, he chose poorly and all that. But <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Good shit. Again. All right. So, again, I mean, even though you're not adding new ones, I mean, we got to go back and credit where credit's due here because we did get vampires mm-hmm. we, and we did get the rust covered. Yes. Spike was uh, something, something spooky, a, a nail from the capital C crucifixion. Mm-hmm. So all good stuff. And yeah, beyond that, I mean, I, again, just a good, nice, relatively concise, but just a great chunk yeah, lot lot of really good lore mixed in there. I mean, I've I've really really appreciated this you know th- this set here of chapters. Yeah, so, and it's good, awesome. Well, Fantastic. beyond that, you know, again, just our, our end of podcast reminder that we do have social medias, and you guys should be our social media friends. <laughs> and uh, life is good. So, thank you guys so much. Um, we're coming at you next week. I think six chapters has worked out pretty well so far, as far as pace-wise, and also just happens to end us in relatively good spots. Although this week, I would have loved to squeeze one more chapter in. But we're going to go six chapters again, so we'll finish up with chapter 18 next week. Chapter 18, so we get another three each. And this week, interestingly enough, yours seemed to be a little bit shorter than mine. Yeah, go back and forth. I'm not, I was just commenting on it last week. It was just funny. But uh, some really good stuff comes up here. We learned some good lore about uh, some good stuff that I don't want to spoil. So I'm excited. Beyond that, I mean, just about good to get out of here. Any parting thoughts, pearls of wisdom, disgusting anecdotes that I can go grab a uh, refill for? (laughs) Uh, No, I'm curious to see what I, I mean, Susan has to say about things (laughs) coming up in chapters. Seriously, like she's just like, nosy she's nosy bitch she wants to know everything that's going on and it's just like oh my god girl same yeah and she's validating my crackpot theories i'm fully on board with her he is good people i like as well so a little bit different from you but <laughs> it's all good um good stuff well thank you guys so much yeah good stuff keep them coming guys we appreciate having you keep spreading the word about more than just us spread the word about dresden files but if we happen to, you know, get thrown in there at the tail end of the sentence, all all the better for it. Um, I, uh, I said, just the conversation I'm having with IRL friends that had never read the series until I said, oh, we're doing a podcast. And so they picked it up. It's really cool. Uh, li- That's awesome. Beyond Alyssa, just had fighting people that it's a cool series. And like I said, yeah. it's getting way less yikesy. It's getting less yikesy all the time. It's exciting stuff. So hopefully it stays that way as we get through it. But I'm delighted to have this opportunity. So thank you guys so much. I will see you guys next week. Um, I'll see you next Tuesday, Lissy. I'll see them on Sunday. But uh, by see, I mean, I don't see. Yeah, I gotcha. Talking at a blank computer screen, but 
a blank computer screen with one of the coolest people I know on the other end of it. So life is good. Beyond that, I appreciate y'all, and I can't wait to keep digging into this and some uh, consequential shit. It's about to happen. So I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. And the podcast is on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Cast music. <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic. Awesome. Good shit. All right. All right. I'm gonna go shovel some food into my mouth and then go yell at children. Sweet. I might. Two of my favorite tasks. Lovely. Delightful. Very exciting.